Hello and welcome back to SBN Scrum Reset. It's the final podcast of 2021. Sam Bruce in the chair as ever and joined by Christy Doran from Fox Sports and the 15. Uh, Christy, um, I'm a little bit sad that the season is over, but there's also a lot of me that's quite happy to uh, be packing away in the cupboard for a few months, um, a bit of a break. Uh, before we regroup and, and rip into what is always uh, a big rugby season in 2022, given it runs for about 11 months of the year. Uh, but before we fully sign off uh, this season, um, we've got one more game to cover off for the Wallabies from the weekend. And of course, a wider look at the, the rest of the uh, November series. Um, of course, finishing 29-28 uh, with Wales getting the win with that uh, penalty after the siren there. Um, held an effort from the Wallabies to play with 14 men for 65 minutes. The second time they've they've really done that this year, of course, getting the win over in France there in the final test in Brisbane when Marika Corombetti was off after five. Um, but uh, for me, this was their best performance uh, of the tour. Just unfortunate that they, uh, they were pipped at the post. Yeah, I think firstly, it is a bit sad that it's their last part of the year particularly. Um, I don't get sad very often well, I always get sad uh, when it's the last pod and particularly when it's there's no more rugby for the year. Um, but I reckon this has been a bit of a drag this, this year. I, I don't know what everyone else is thinking that might be listening in or indeed yourself, but I just feel like with all the, all the, uh, the various um, uh, changes throughout, um, we've seen... They all have to do quarantine after quarantine. You've had to report on those various things. I'm, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to the fact that it's the end of the year. And I think the All Blacks are too, just quietly, um, after two back-to-back losses. The second one, Ian Foster, didn't happen under Steve Hansen. So we always have to put things into context when you're discussing rugby, but also the Wallabies, um, and think that, hey, the well isn't falling down. There are actually reasons to be optimistic um, and and we saw a few of those things. I agree it was one of their better performances of t- recent times, but I wrote in a story a column on Sunday afternoon, one thing that really stood out to me was the try from um, Andrew Kellaway on the weekend. Um, Hunter Paisami puts a little kick in behind. Um, tenth phase, being a great build-up, that passage of play was outstanding. It was very Scott Wisemantle who... I've referenced in the past when he was the attack coach under England, under Andy Jones at England, they scored more tries within this, uh, inside the first five minutes than any other international team. So watch this space going forward because that influence is going to get better and better. But the kick there, the timing there, the decision, the, the vision um, was, was first class. And we saw it last year against Argentina. But the kick went took 10 metres too long. It was unnecessarily too big off his left. This time off his right, um, a good ball from Nick White to cut out James O'Connor um, to go to Paisami, who is, is standing just outside him, puts the kick in behind. That was outstanding. So there are definitely things to take forward. Um, another loss, three in a row, you can bring out the stats. And sometimes stats are great because they, they look pretty sexy in a headline, but they often, in rugby particularly, don't do a hell of a world of good. You, you think about some players who always have big stat lines, but it's what they do with the ball. If, they, if they're making 15 carries, great, but you're actually denting the line. Um, and similarly with tackles, are you making them effective tackles or are you just getting a high tackle count? We've seen you know three defeats against Wales, all of them inside seven points. Um, 
We've seen three losses on the bounce, but they were in the game in, in, within, you know, 70 minutes against England and pretty much the last kick of the game against Scotland and Wales. I, I don't think that Australia is in the bad position that everyone might think they are. They've dropped down to world number six in the, in the, in the world. Um, but there were plenty of positives coming out of this year. Yeah, you mentioned dropping down to number six, of course, number three before uh, they set off on the, on the spring tour. And I guess that's just an indication of how close, as we spoke about last week, these top seven or eight are um, in, uh, in world rugby right now. If you look at the rankings, points, there's very little between them. Mm. Um, Christy, and I think you're right to, to take the optimistic tone. It's certainly something I expressed in my uh, wrap-up of Sunday's game and, of course, looking at, a little bit ahead to 2022 as well. Um, that, uh, yeah, sure, it was three straight losses to finish the year, but I really think that was the, the game they needed um, to show us something that, you know, we are right to be optimistic about last year. And I thought that was um, uh, exemplified in the way they attacked. Um, there seemed to be a real understanding of, of how they wanted to, to try and break down Wales on this occasion. Um, Curtly Beal, I know who you've been talking about all year, suggesting he could still have a role to play through the World Cup. I probably wasn't on board with that. Um, mid, midway through the year and, and certainly uh, at the start of this tour, but maybe a little bit more familiarity with, with some of the guys he's playing with. Uh, a lot of guys in this current Wallaby setup who he, he won't know. Um, I see, I thought he really, really looks, you know, quite good on the weekend, Curtly, both bringing the ball back, um, chiming in at wider in the back line in that second and third receiver role. Um, of course, made the break that set up the try that, that Nick White eventually scored. Um, was happy to see a little bit more from Will Skelton off the bench getting, mm. you know, 28 minutes uh, on this occasion. Um, and, of course, as I mentioned, doing it all with uh, while a player down and, and two players down for, for 10 minutes there when, when Kirtley got the yellow card, which we'll talk about soon. So I thought it was, um, uh, you know, while disappointing to finish with the defeat, um, the nature of their performance and their play um, just kind of makes you think and, and look ahead to, that England series in particular with, um, you know, clearly there's some big decisions to be made off the field, but um, with a little bit of excitement, even if they don't go the way perhaps we think they might. Yeah. I'll, I'll, let's bring up two points going forward. Uh, we'll talk about next year's home series against England, which um, we know the 2016 one was fascinating. The storylines, the checker versus Jones off the back of the World Cup, uh, a new uh, million dollar contract for, for Michael Checker as well. Um, but uh, before we get to the Guido law, um, if there's, th I look through the Wallabies at the moment and and I see a couple of crucial decisions that they need to make over the next two years. And and I think the, the number 10 jersey is going to be fascinating to see if Wade Cooper is fit. But I think, you know, he'll be managed. He's playing in Japan. There's a lot of time off. Um, it'll be interesting to see who's, who ends up at, 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 uh, at 10. But I, I see three really crucial positions that they need to nail. One, being a hooker going forward. Yep. Um, secondly, blindside flanker, even though I think Rob Leota's made great strides. And I, I'm really fascinated to see how he continues to kick on. And, and three would be um, the fullback jersey. Um, I think that... If you look at the Australian side and you see vulnerability, where can you attack? Still think the hooker, the set piece, particularly the line out, is something that you try to expose. Um, but I also think the fullback position, I think Kurtley played very well. There will be a lot of people that go, do we pick Kurtley Bill? 
Um, do we allow it to continue? Because they'll be thinking, well, we need Samu Karevi back. We need Quade Cooper back. We need Rory Arnold back. Can we pick more than three players per side um, that, that are foreign-based at the time? That will come into the thinking. Um, but it was the most assured and confident display, I think, from a fullback this year. And I say confident because you, you, need, a, you, you need to have some... When, when Israel Folau was there, as limited as he was, as one-dimensional as he was, he was a bloke that if you kicked to, you he wasn't going to drop the ball. Uh, if you had him in attack and you gave him an inch, he, would, he was extremely damaging, tough to get um, to bring to ground. And had they had a more effective kicking game, could have been utilised even more there. I, I, I think with Tom Banks, when he comes back from injury, Reese Hodge will be there, thereabouts. It'll be interesting to see what they do around that position particularly. Um, some selection questions going forward for sure. Christy, um, let's dig into then a couple of the controversial decisions of the weekend. Um, I know it's been talked about the world over um, with uh, Wallabies and, and Welsh fans going at it on, on social media and even journalists too in, uh, in some points. Yeah. Um, now, uh, when you look at the law, as I did again on, on Sunday afternoon, um, I guess... It, you know, in our game, you can't really afford to be a fence sitter. But when you look at the ambiguity around this knock-on law and how this action from, let's deal with, I guess, the Tompkins uh, knockdown and try to begin with, you can make a case to see how the referee, use, using his interpretation of the law, by the ball going backwards out of the hand, um, could have been play on and, and the seven points or the five points awarded and the, the seven points with the conversion. On the flip side... How on earth can a ball that is knocked forward towards the other goal line in front of a player also then be ruled as, as a knockback? And, and this is the ambiguity in the law. And, and you know, I guess it takes incidents like this to, to you know, for us to, to take a really good hard look at the, uh, the actual writing of the law itself and say, well, look, that if it looks like a duck and talks like a duck, Sorry, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, then it probably is a knock-on, you know? Um, because on that occasion, to the naked eye, you think, how in the world can that be, can play allowed to be, to go on? Um, but when you read the law um, and, and you, I guess you, you see it um, firsthand, you go, you know what? Well, I can kind of see why referee Mike Adamson did rule that. Um, so I guess my question to you is, does the, A, the law need to be changed? Or B, was it, um, in your mind, uh, the incorrect decision as the rule as the law is written. Yeah, I don't think the law needs to change. What I think these referees referees need um, to do is have World Rugby go, guys. I know that there are laws, but there's there's always a little a feel bit feel for the game. Yeah, there's a feel for the game, and 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 that was the wrong decision. And everyone, as you say, anyone who's watching the game recognizes that that's a knock on. Um, it hasn't gone backwards at all. He's reached out, his hands going forward. It, it had every indicator that it was a knock-on. Um, it, it's also the similar sort of thing sometimes when you come up with with, uh, with head knocks or, um, you know, foul play. Sometimes the, the World Rugby Law Book and what they're using for their criteria is far too stringent to what actually occurs. Um, you know, we, we've seen... Sometimes the things like the Marika Corabetti and, and even on the weekend, the Rob Ballatini red card, um, uh, the, the general Joe Blow on the street has gone, well, how, how is that a red card? You know, that's just as much the defender or, um, 
or the attacker who's who's up or it's ahead or whatever it might be. But on that occasion, Rob Valentini gets penalised because of the poor tackle technique. He was far too high. And, and at no stage did the attacker really drop um, and lower to his ground. Um, but, yeah, with, with that, Dave Brinney, I think he has every right to blow up. Um, he wouldn't have watched and analysed that knock-on three or four times because, yeah. let's be honest, you, you know, he probably just sort of was a knock-on. I don't know how he missed that. And then he's got to move on. He's got to also deal with the fact that guys have, you know, been red and yellow carded and how are we going to use our bench properly? So when he has that strongly held view calling the decisions horrendous as he did and then doubled down on a press conference shortly after, you can understand where he's come from. I just think that more feel needs to be applied to the game by the referees and they shouldn't just be held to the World Rugby Law Book. That's why guys like Wayne Barnes um, and, and, and at times before that, Nigel Owens, even though I didn't always agree with, with some of his hot takes, um, they generally had a better feel for the game. And I think particularly Barnes had a, has a great feel of the game. We saw that on the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, and that's where some of the more inexperienced referees need to be less reliant on, 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 on uh, TMOs and, and also just video analysis full stop. And they've got to get away from that. Um, I thought it was courageous what the what the sideline official was saying to Mike Adamson, um, Mark Adamson on the weekend by saying, well, hang on, is that really a yellow card to Kurt Bill at the time, given there was the cover defence, not just from um, the, the one of the wingers coming across, I think it was Andrew Kellaway at the time, but also James O'Connor could have easily made the tackle on the, on the winger as well. And this is something you and I spoke about on Sunday around just the deliberate lock, knockdown law itself. It's been a mess and it's been a mess for years. Um, you can go back to, you know, I guess the 91 World Cup and, and Campo avoids a yellow card back then from uh, in the final at Twickenham for a, for a knockdown there when, when England looked to make a break. And I think the easiest way to go about it is just have the rugby league interpretation is that there's no such thing. It's just a, a knock-on is a knock-on um, because at time, and, time and time again, we see these pop up. Um, happened a number of times through Super Rugby in the last few years. Um, and, and it's just, and, and the other thing is with, the TMO these days, we, we break it down frame by frame. So as the, the commentators were mentioning there, that you could maybe see Kirtley's eyes shifting towards the ball, but that's also him bracing for contact. How do we know that he's not just looking away because he's tackling front on there um, and just moving his head slightly to the side and hence his, his eyes follow. So what, yeah, what, what occurs here is, is, is it's far too subjective about what a person can and cannot do. We, we, often, we often marvel at what wingers, particularly in rugby league, and the athleticism that wingers show, but we marvel at what these players can do and, and, and how athletic they are, um, how talented they are when they often put um, score just inside the, the, the goal line, the, um, uh, that wingers, you know, their whole body is outside the field of play, yet somehow they manage to get the ball just down. Why is it then that every second referee or, or nine times out of ten referees go, well, I'm sorry, the player, you know, the defending player um, wasn't in a realistic position to catch or intercept the ball. Now, I know this was different to the Kirtley Bill decision, but it brings into the same, you know, ruling, which is not in a realistic position to take the intercept 
therefore you're yellow carded. It, it goes against everything that we say of the game rugby, that these guys can't do that because they're not in a realistic position to take these intercepts. It's the worst rule in the, in, in the country ball, in the law book of, of rugby. It's and, a hot field too. And as soon as it's done with, the game will be much better. It'll be more simple. People will be talking less about referees and more about what actually happens in the game. If you're not good enough to, to get the ball around a defender, either through a, a bullet-like pass over the top and the defender has the ability to touch it, well, tough luck. Clearly, you're not good enough. I think Adamson also affected by... Um, he's a guy who's come, a referee who's come through the World Sevens circuit where a, knock, a deliberate knockdown is, is, you know, even more harshly dealt with uh, on the circuit or which uh, coincidentally begins again this weekend. Um, it's, it's always been the way on that. And perhaps that interpretation differs from what we expect in, in 15. So um, anyway, a couple of big ones there. Uh, just quickly on, on the Valentini uh, high tackle uh, red card. I don't think he really, as you mentioned before, could add a, a case to argue against with. That's the way, as Dave Rennie said post-match, that um, that's the way the law has kind of been interpreted and officiated this year. Um, the responsibility is on the tackler to drop his body height. Um, he had more than enough opportunity to do that. Came from distance, and it was a was a big collision. Big collision against a you know a lock. Had it been perhaps um, the Welsh number nine, um, then he might have had a different story. But given the uh, the height of the the Welsh carrier there, uh, Beard, I think it was, um, it was always going to find himself in a bit of trouble. Yeah, and I think if World Rugby, you know, he, Rob Valentini is going to face probably a judicial panel on Friday or so. Um, so, you know, the best part of a week after the game, which seems a little bit long at this stage of the year. Um, but if World Rugby is really serious about trying to have um, an effect on players um, dropping their body heights, they've got to stop reducing suspensions by half by going from six to three weeks or eight to four, which is what time and time again happens. Um, you know, three weeks, let's be honest, it, particularly going into a super rugby year, it is a blow. But if you're going to really try to clamp down on it, you go harder, you go five weeks, and, and you don't just lower it because of a guy's previous record. Players probably need to start to realise that when you come, and you, you know, in the case of Rob Valentini there, he came out to make a really dominant tackle. It wasn't like he was being passive. He was being very, very, very um, hard, uh, came from a, a long way away and at no stage to try to tackle lower or even attempt to tackle, tackle below the ball. That's the only way I, I see World Rugby really being able to influence the, the tackle height, which is something that someone like a Lockie Swinton has struggled with uh, over, over the last two years too and probably will continue. What about Christy then? Um, let's talk about a breakout star for the Wallabies in, in 20. 21, uh, 14 test matches in total. Um, must have been upwards of uh, close to 50 players used by um, the end of uh, the spring tour with the additions of Kirtley and, of course, Ollie Hoskins. Because um, I think there was about 42 named earlier in the year at one point. Obviously, some guys haven't played like Bonnie Fahmasili, Masili, sorry, um, and a couple of others there as well who no doubt escaped me at this point. But um, a lot of players used, um, some new blood come in. Uh, who really impressed you and who do you think, I guess, has um, got a bright future and can really kick on from what they showed this season? I, I don't know if you're going to really classify Andrew Kellaway as a rookie. I know that the times we have to because he's an international rookie. Um, 
first year. Uh, for me, I, I think Lenny Katow fits the bill there. I think he, for mine, is probably been the breakout star for, for the Wallabies. He looks like he could have a long career in that number 13 jersey. Uh, it would be great to have that experience um, of his first year, but if he can stay in that role for three, four, five years as a 21-year-old, that's a really exciting thing for Australian rugby. He's got a big raking left foot. Um, really exciting for for the Wallabies. I think it could be the best thing for Noel Lolasio to be able to go have, you know, Nick White at nine, Lolasio at 10, Lenny Cattell at 13. Um, that, that's, that, that's a good way to build combinations because... Uh, we know that that was really the success of the All Blacks for eight years was having a very untouched team. So, you know, he, he, he was definitely mine. I think the other is from a forwards perspective is, is Rob Valentini. We know that he played a little bit over the last two years, uh, made his debut, I think, in, in 2019. Um, you know, struggled to really make an impact last year, but, but absolutely built off the back of a really good Super Rugby season. Um, so I haven't just given you one there, um, but, but it, obviously it's, it's clearly it's great to have a, a try scorer in Andrew Callaway, who I would imagine would be your would be your breakout. Yeah, it's hard to argue, Christy. I think you know, given where he came from, um, certainly for me, he's a guy I followed for the last oh, seven or eight years since he was playing at school, and understood that um, this was a guy with immense talent and. Someone who's, uh, as we've both reported on throughout this year, um, just had to take the long way around, I guess, is the, the best way to put it, and found his way back to the game and um, at a bit of an outpost here in Australia at Melbourne Rebels and um, has made every post really a winner since then. Uh, you look at his form towards the back end of Super Rugby Trans-Tasman and, and that was really what got him into the, the Wallaby squad there. Um, you know, uh, when Dave first announced it for the uh, for the French series there, a couple of fantastic um, performances, both in attack and defence, and those closing couple of games, um, ironically played up here in Sydney at Leichhardt Oval, um, which, uh, you know, I guess almost further add to uh, his story to get to the top. Um, and then, yeah, really, as we said, he starts those, um, those tests against the All Blacks and shows his class in finishing. Um, you know, offset plays and cross kicks from every, whatever else and um, good finishes against the Springboks and, and the Pumas. And, um, yeah, and then con- concluding with the, uh, you know, the understanding of uh, Paisami's lovely little grubber, as you mentioned there on the weekend. So I guess now it's, um, you know, the he's a little bit older than some of the guys that perhaps we blooded, uh, sorry, the Wallabies blooded uh, last year, like your Harry Wilsons, who perhaps might have struggled a touch in their second year. Um, Killaway's, of course, I think about 25, 26 now. Um, he's got the experience of having played overseas, so you would expect him to perhaps not struggle as much as as uh, some of those uh, those younger guys did this season. But he, you know, he's he's got to be a key cog for the Rebels going forward. And I guess now, where do they look to play him? And does Dave Rennie say pass down a, a mandate to to Kevin Foote to say, look, we really want you to keep Andrew Killaway on the wing, or we want to see more of him at fullback? Um, where does that leave Reese Hodge? Uh, these are all decisions that come into it, and, and obviously centralisation has a, you know, a, a bit of a, a part to play in that. Something you've reported on this season. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see just where he lines up. I think next year at the Rebels. Yeah, my my suspicion is that Carter Gordon will play at ten for the Rebels next year. Um, guy that was basically forced to leave the Reds because he wasn't given uh, enough an opportunity there um, at a young age. Um, 
I, I think Reese Hodge will play fullback. I think they'll keep Andrew Callaway on the wing as much as possible, potentially move him to 13, which wouldn't be the yep. worst thing in the world either. Um, and, and Matt Tamua, you know, he, he's, he's I saw him have an interview over the weekend. Um, he, he can still have a big role to play in this Rebels side and, and probably at 12 because I think it's probably time to move on as a thought to him being an out-and-out 10. Um, but he needs to find his best form to, to press back into the frame of the Wallabies because at the moment he's he's probably the one player that's gone, you know, slip, oh, I'm not going to say backwards, but he's slipped behind now. You know, he's well and truly behind Samuel Karevi as a 12, and he, I think he's also behind Hunter Paisami as well. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, be interesting to watch. Uh, Matty Tamu's um, return next year, and then, of course, we, we wish him well. Um Christy, what about uh, the Giddo Laura? I know it's been a constant theme for us basically since mid-year when the, when the changes were, or I guess the, the expanded uh, pr- protocols were announced for, for the Rugby Championship and beyond. Um, we've seen, first of all, uh, obviously, Karevi come back in, Quade Cooper, Duncan Paiua, who actually never took to the field, um, Sean McMahon later on, and then the guys clearly up in Europe, um, Skelton, Latu, Rory Arnold, um, and then Kurtley Beal with the injury to to Reese Hodge there in Japan and, and throw in Ollie Hoskins as well, although it's unlikely we'll probably see too much more of him down the road. Um, what, I, I guess, Dave, when asked about it last week a couple of times, following on from comments made by uh, Queensland uh, General Manager Sam uh, and former Wallaby uh, Sam Cordingley around um, just their concerns, I guess, as a franchise and as a, as a state union and on what this, you know, these changes might potentially open up, and then the power balance will shift too far to the players. And we know there are, we know what player agents are, are designed to do. They're out there to get the, the best, you know, bang for their buck for their their players, and by extension themselves. Um, now, what I guess where where do you see this landing? Um, is it going to remain on an ad hoc basis, um, or will we see very stringent formal? Um, guidelines introduced that were in the same effect of the original 60 test, um, seven year service. Um, will there be more flexibility? Is it around this this 30 test, five year service mark? Um, or, or will there just be a limit on the number that Dave can use per season? And when they hit that, it'll be too bad, you're done. Yeah, I think it will more perhaps drop around um, from a couple of discussions. And, and I know that they're not formalised yet because you think about the the high high ups at Rugby Australia being Hamish McLennan, I believe he's got some time off now. Um, uh, will, will be shortly anyway. Um, Andy Marinos, the two of them have just been up um, in the United Kingdom for the last couple of weeks. Um, so they haven't quite been discussing things uh, as they might be if they're back in Sydney where they can meet up and link up with um, time zones uh, and have a a much more of a deeper review. So that'll come. So it, it's probably a bit too early to completely speculate of, of where it will drop. But I, some of the discussions that I've, I've been privy to are more, I think, around service than test caps because we've seen at times guys that have unfortunately either been, you know, you, you think about someone like a um, Aleem Gill or maybe in the case yep. of Hazel McRide at the moment. He, he's a guy that's now played basically three years of super rugby or, or the best part anyway. Um, but he's only played a couple of tests because he's stuck behind a very specialised position or indeed in the case of Michael Hooper, the captain. 
uh, hardly played a match. So is it fair to say, well, mate, you, you, you need to get 60 caps? Well, not really. Um, guys like- It can take a long while to get there. Greg Holmes, you know, uh, played 15 years in, in Australian rugby, um, or, or it felt like that anyway, um, but, but only had you know, a dozen caps after his first 10 years playing in Australia. So uh, it would be a bit, I think, harsh to, to say, no, you can't go. But one thing they want to make sure, and this is one of the reasons why I think you didn't see Powell as well as Cobby flying a play on the weekend, is the fact that they've left at a younger age when they've, you know, in particular the case of Duncan had only played two, two, three years tops of super rugby level before leaving. They don't want to encourage that whatsoever. I think there'll be something around the five-year mark. Perhaps. Is, five, is five enough, though? That's when you, you think about it. If you're a, a player who comes in and makes his debut at 19 and you, you get through to 24, 25, and, and you're out of there. And as we've discussed before, it's, it's guys like that around, um, you know, Jed Holloway's a guy who springs to mind who, you know, ironically is now returned to the Waratahs after a season in Japan. But those middle kind of tier players, is that the concern that, that they will get stripped out? And I, I, you know, I our super rugby teams will inevitably have, you know, tough seasons against the Kiwi franchises that they did this year. I don't think so because, you, you know, the guys that it's only the, well, the top end players um, that players are leaving already and it doesn't even matter if the top, middle or lower tier, but the middle tier players that go overseas aren't going to get picked for the Wallabies. Um, let's be honest about that. Um, you look at all the players and, and, and I think it was Jeff Parks who earlier in the year listed all the players that are overseas that are Australian eligibility eligible, and there was 150 of them. You know, of that, you went through the list and there was probably about no more than six that you'd pick in the team. And, and I think we've seen those six that have been played, that have played for the world. It's the only other player that I was surprised that wasn't approached at all. And I think could have been approached following Sean McMahon's withdrawal was, was Liam Gill. I don't think there's another player um, that, that you would have reached out to. Um, so I don't think you're going to just see this mass exodus because you know what, they can play for the Wallabies if they go overseas. You know, you, you're going to pick your best players regardless. There's still going to remain a lot of them here. Some of the people that are hitting out at the current um, uh, laws um, or centralization or, or whatever it might be at the moment. I think there's a bit of self-interested play because, you know, you look at contracting managerial roles, you know, if, if that goes into a centralization model, perhaps means less roles within various states. You, you can understand where people start to get a bit jittery. Um, you know, you look at the, the likes of Karevi and McMahon, um, Cooper, um, you know, all, all grew up in Queensland, didn't they? And, and two of them are represented by a player agent who is not liked by Queensland rugby. So, of course, they are going to have pot shots um, because they're, they're trying to make Queensland rugby look better. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that it will be, you know, whatever Rory Arnold, I think he might have just scraped over the 30 test mark, uh, perhaps over the last three tests. Uh, could be wrong on that, but I think they'll be doing everything they can so that Rory Arnold can play um, next year, but also at the World Cup in 2023. Do we expect, uh, I guess, a resolution before Christmas, or is this something that um, will be, I guess, you know, RA typically has a shutdown period through Christmas. Uh, it leaves by the time Dave Rennie gets back, I guess, after um, Barbarian's duty this weekend against Samoa. Let's say he might not be back to the middle of the next week. Um, you know, you're already into December then. Basically, you've got two weeks to 
to thrash it all out. I think that's probably a little light on time for the, everyone to get together. Is it more something we expect potentially, say, late January into February, or or will they let it ride well into the new year? I I, I just wonder whether or not. Um, I I would think a, a more appropriate time is for the season kickoff next year. And let's be honest too, with the, the cash-strapped organisation which they remain to be. That is one way to get headlines in the papers before a season is to announce what you're going to be doing about your eligibility laws. There'll be players that will be very interested both in Australia but also overseas about where it drops because it influences what players might do um, from a contractual perspective. But with the 2025 Lions series and then a Home World Cup in 27, uh, well, likely in, in 2027, I, I would imagine that RA and the Wallabies will tighten up these laws again after the 2023 World Cup. They will say, if you want to play for a Lions series, which is one of the most special things that, that a player can do, they'll be telling them that you could have come home. You think that could be a separate piece altogether for the Lions, that um, to be selected for that series well, for those it, couple it, of years you've got to be in Australia? Well, and in addition to the 2027 World Cup, I think so. It'll be the other thing that could influence this is private equity. Now, if you're getting many more, more millions of dollars, you might make the short-term decision. We'll get a couple of those players back, but that is not a long system, long-term sustainable option because you don't want to, you don't get another opportunity once you start selling your, um, your, your state, your business, what you own. Um, so they. they they can't just instantly start handing out million-dollar contracts left, right and centre. They would have to be extremely targeted. But I think that that is, that is you know, you, you listen to every player and the, and the highlights are generally a, a Lions career or a World Cup, particularly a home World Cup. Lottie Dekiri, you know, marvels around the, the World Cup, the lure of that saw. Wendell Saylor, Lottie Dekiri, Matt Rogers all come over for a home World Cup. I think you might see a similar sort of thing. Um, and, and that will bring, and I've spoken to players that are overseas and all of them uh, are interested in, in, you know, playing it at, at the 2023 World Cup, let alone a home World Cup. So that is what I'm fascinated to see. And that's why you might see a tighter eligibility laws next year than one might even expect. Yeah, certainly a massive story to follow. Uh, into uh, the new year 2022 uh, going to be fascinating to see how that plays out uh, and where it exactly lands uh, moving forward. Um, Christy, before we go, uh, a couple more things. Uh, obviously, uh, we'll enjoy a bit of cricket over the summer and then rip into some Super Rugby Pacific. Uh, but the mid-year series against England, um, you know, it's just going to be fantastic for the game here in Australia. You would imagine that... Um, you know, COVID pending. Hopefully, we, we're well. We've got it uh, in terms of delays and anything else, and, and late changes of venue will be well and truly in the rearview mirror. But you would think we'll go Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney, uh, Suncorp, um, potentially uh, might even get into uh, Marvel Stadium there under the roof. I think a crowd of you know fifty thousand probably could be expected down there. Particularly if borders are opening again, I'm sure there'll be some English fans keen to come down and then finish up in Sydney which unfortunately may land at the SCG, which we both don't love as a rugby venue. And I know a lot of people here in Sydney do, but uh, given the extra probably 20,000 people that would be able to get in there compared to, to uh, Combank as it is now at Western Sydney, um, you would think that that would be the RA, the way RA will go. Uh, 
But just looking how England and how, I guess, Eddie has brought in some fresh blood into this um, his team over there during November. Uh, fullback, excuse me, Freddie Stewart. Uh, number 10, Marcus Smith, of course, we've spoken about already. Um, we know the forwards they've got there. Curry and Underhill have, have really come on since they were, um, you know, first kind of selected in the, in the run-up to the 2019 World Cup. Uh, Courtney Laws, um, you know, these, these other big forwards they've got up front. Um, Tuolagi still going around and, you know, Owen Farrell, while injured now and missing the last game on the weekend, is clearly going to be a rock in that back line moving forward as well. Um, just set to be a fantastic series and one, you know, that uh, hopefully is a little bit more competitive. It's not that they were blowouts last time around, but 3-0 to England. Um, I can't wait once we, you know, get a little bit closer next year. Yeah, and looking at it, I wonder, can who's in a better position? I think Australia maybe took... England slightly for granted in, in 2016. They weren't helped, though, by the, the, the injuries that they suffered with Kurtley Beal um, going down. Um, I think it was, you know, Matt Guido um, wasn't there. You know, their options at 12 were thin during that period. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm very excited. I wonder whether or not England... I, I still think England will win the series. I, I think that they've got a marvellous young 10 who would have had a handful of caps by that stage um, will have probably come off the back of the Six Nations. Um, well, and looks like he will enjoy playing in Australian conditions too. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, Eddie Jones is now... Um, there's generally one lean year per, per calendar from what we've seen. And, and I think that Eddie Jones has come off the back of a, an autumn campaign last year where he was smacked for the style of rugby. They changed things up, experimented a little bit. They had guys that are coming through not only COVID periods, but also um, maybe some selection kind of a, a downward spiral there for a short period of time. I think England will be primed, raring to go. You won't see players rested like what we saw this year with France. Um, it's full steam ahead when, when you've got a year or so out from the World Cup. Um, I, I'm, I'm really excited by it, fascinated to see which Australian players might make themselves available from overseas too. And hopefully that will be sorted out by the start of the year because that's one of the key learnings out of this year was um, player made management regarding eligibility uh, and the planning that's needed there um, going forward. So it'll be a great series. Oh, I wonder, and hopefully the, the new Sydney football stadium is completed by then. You never know, that might be able to sneak it and be really the grand unveiling of it come July. That would be huge, although indications I got from Andy Marinos the other day said that that was probably uh, less likely. We should perhaps aim for a uh, rugby championship, potentially the box there um, later uh, in September. They might need those extra couple of months, um, but we can all hope. Uh, what about, Christy, um, I, I today put um, the Springboks at the top of my world rankings. They are number one on the world, world rugby rankings. And for me, they remain the team to beat um, in France in two years' time, uh, given what you know they showed over the last few weeks, the players they've been without. I, I know they were beaten by Australia twice, and certainly that, that second test in Brisbane stands out as the, the Wallabies' best performance of the year by quite some margin. And and the fashion in which they played and, and won easily that night. Um, the Springboks, they seem to have a little bit of trouble with Australia, more so than than any other nation in the world. And I guess that's the uh, the fascinating part about styles and game plans and, and everything else. But when it comes to the crunch time of World Cup knockout play, um, your ability to squeeze games and, and take the points when they're on offer and, and play field position and territory, as ugly as that might be, 
on occasion, as we saw in that World Cup semi against Wales there um, a couple of years ago with the Springboks. For me, they, they just have um, that ability to to really uh, play that World Cup style of rugby um, and have got uh, the nucleus of, of a group that I think, again, will be very hard to beat in two years' time. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think in two years' time, um, the, the tables might have turned a little bit. But at, at the moment, I think, yeah, you're, you're right. I think um, South Africa closes out the year pretty well. Albeit, you know, I lost against England. But, um, uh, you know, they're still a juggernaut. And, and you expect that they will continue for the next couple of years to be as strong as ever. It will be fascinating in a couple of years' time once some of these players get a bit older how the cohesion works when when South Africa is, you know, broken up in terms of, you know, six, seven years down the road since you allowed it to become much more loose in terms of your eligibility laws. So watch this space regarding that. But, you know, France, you couldn't, I don't think Labour was your number one team because they still haven't won a Six Nations. They only won three out of five games, I think it was, this year. Um, so until until they really make a statement by winning some silver, where I, I don't think you can say that they're the best side, even though I think they will win their first World Cup in in twenty twenty three. Well, there you go. There's a big uh, a big statement to finish uh, on this year, the twenty third of November twenty twenty one. Christy Doran, uh, France, winning their first World Cup on uh, on home soil. Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot of. Uh, French uh, men and women, uh, happy to hear that. Uh, certainly a fantastic game on the weekend um, and uh, the, the piece of play from uh, Roman Intermac uh, bringing the ball back from his own in-goal line, uh, which almost ended up in a try at the other end was uh, was some of the best you'd uh, you'd seen all year in a great way, I think, for the, the curtain to come down uh, for the season and and uh, probably a good way for us to, uh, to wrap it up as well. Um, mate, it's been fantastic having you on this. You really appreciate the time. We know it's, uh, it's in your own time and you've got plenty... Of other stuff on so uh thanks for that and thanks everyone for for tuning in uh, if you've got any thoughts over the off season uh, on what you'd like to hear next year or guess or um anything you'd like us to discuss um get in touch on uh, on the socials and we'd be only too happy to uh, to bring it up but um again christy thanks very much mate it's been great fun and i can't wait to do it all again next year yep look forward to everyone's company out there again and uh, of course espn.com.au uh, for all your rugby news moving forward and you can find christy at Fox Sports and the 15. Uh, We'll see you again in 2022.